0: Hey, and welcome to Alex Listens. My name's Alex. This is the place where I talk about things like philosophy and politics and economics and identity and race and what they mean for us. Um, So, if you want to learn a bit more about me, who I am, what I look like, um, I have a website, www.alex.co. You can go on there and you can find more information about me. Um, Otherwise, uh, you probably don't need to know much about me in order to listen, right? Because that's the beauty of podcasts. Um, okay. So before I, uh, introduce today's episode, a few things. First of all, I just want to thank all of the people who have become patrons of the podcast recently. Um, thank you. Know that I am extremely humbled, um, by people supporting the podcast in whatever way they can and by reaching out to me um, and I would encourage you to reach out to me and tell me what you think of the podcast because it really helps me shape the image and direction of it um, I guess also if you're enjoying the podcast consider supporting it um, you can do so in a number of ways you can tell a friend you can review it on iTunes you can support me on you can subscribe on YouTube. That's what I meant to say. Um, and also you can support me on Patreon, um, or through PayPal or whatever. Um, Patreon's really great. Um, there are a number, a number of different tiers that you can choose from. Um, it's, oh, there's a big truck going past. It's so loud. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, today I spoke about, so I, uh, yeah, I was trying to answer a question, um, which was, is existentialism a waste of time? And I guess uh, I won't. I won't go too much into it in the introduction because I talk about it in the actual episode. But I spoke about why. I spoke about what existentialism is, why we, why it may or may not be important, and I also spoke about the diversity of ways that it kind of manifests itself in our everyday life. Um, and I especially spoke about that in the Western, in a Western context, the modern Western context, because that's what I'm familiar with as someone who's been raised in the Western world. Oh yeah, and I forgot to add that this episode, this discussion um, is filmed and will be on YouTube. And you can see my face if you want. Um, it will be on my channel, alex listens so go if you want to watch me talk instead of listen um it's on youtube go watch it subscribe cool um anyway without any further ado i bring you myself in this new episode anyway bye Whole day, okay Kinda like I the barn, no so today okay. i'm talking about like I'm well i'm going no, to I try and right. answer a question no, no, no um, and that question is is, yeah, we'll um, is existentialism a waste of time um and there are a number of reasons why i figured that this was a question that i wanted to ask um i guess principally um the the reasons are very personal um I am someone who is very sensitive and susceptible to um feelings of existential dread um and kind of existential loneliness and existential isolation and existential angst um and so these are things that I've thought about for a long time what does it mean to be anyone what does it mean to be me what does it mean to be you I probably haven't thought about you so much. Um, Sorry. Um, But, you know, um, I I guess it seems like everyone kind of asks themselves these questions. Um, Questions of belonging, questions of meaning, questions of priorities, questions of interest, questions of disinterest. Um, And... I guess for, for a number of years, mainly between the age of the ages of 16 and 22, I was really deeply considering these things. Um, and I brooded a lot and I was kind of trapped in the past, um, trying to trace kind of causal pathways between previous or past behavior and past interests and the person I was, or the person I am today. Um, and I study philosophy. Um, and in my studies, I have tried to kind of draw pragmatic and practical lessons, um, out of the abstract and out of the theoretical. Um, and one of the areas of philosophy, which has been most interesting to me, um, and which has been most influential has been existentialism. Um, So I guess that's why I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts about what it is and why we should or shouldn't care about it. Um, And why we should or shouldn't actually try and consciously direct our mental energy towards thinking about that kind of stuff. So, as usual, I have very little guidance. Um, I have... I have six things written in my notebook. Um, Six kind of headings. And I guess I'm going to work through them um, chronologically because, I don't know. I mean, they're kind of arbitrarily... No, they're not. They're not arbitrary. What am I talking about? I actually, you know, I thought about how I wanted to structure this. So they're not arbitrarily structured. They're intentionally structured in the way they are because I think that, yeah, there is an important order to follow when talking about this kind of stuff. So firstly, I'm going to provide you with a, I'm going to try and provide you with a working definition of existentialism. Um, so question one, what is existentialism? Um, crudely existentialism is the investigation of what it means to be. Um, And you can go, you can kind of, you can look at that question through so many different lenses that it kind of begins to hurt. Um, But I guess one of the, one of the main lenses that 20th century exists, I guess, yeah, it seems like existentialism really kicked off after the Second World War or around about that time. Um, France and Germany were two of the kind of leading countries, you know, people like uh, Simone de Beauvoir. Uh, Martin Heidegger, um, you know, people who I've mentioned a number of times in this podcast. Um, and I guess they were, uh, you know, you can, you can think about the geopolitical and cultural context within which they were thinking and writing. Um, and so, you know, they are responding, they were responding to or influenced by one of the greatest tragedies. And one of the greatest tragedies of, of, um, of, of our time, um, of, of what it means to be, of, of one of the greatest tragedies of humankind. Um, and I'm sure that influenced their thinking, um, but you know, something that I am personally, uh, attached to. Um, and I guess biologically attached to is the uh, Algerian War for Independence, and France was a colonial power and it colonized Algeria for a long time, hundred and something years, hundred fifty plus. Um, and they fought the they fought a very bloody and gruesome war of independence in the sixties, in the nineteen sixties, and gained independence in nineteen sixty two. Uh, 63, sorry um, And that also was a big thing that featured in French politics And French discussions of freedom and equality And um, privilege and power um, and purpose um, And so I guess the existential question is As I said before, what does it mean to be? Um, and it's very difficult to actually, it's very difficult to do, it's very difficult to know what to do with that question. Um, because it seems like being is something subjective, um, and something that only I and you can know about. Um, I don't know what it's like for you to be. I guess I can guess, It probably feels like what it's like for me to be, but really I only have insight into my consciousness. Um, you can kind of talk to me and tell me what you experience, but you know, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of the kind of raw, uh, experience of things is lost in language. Um, but you know, some other things are gained and I'm not, this isn't a critique of language. This is just what I'm trying to articulate is the difficulty that we have Um, sharing experience. Um, And the reason why I've kind of talked about, or kind of moved this in the direction of subjectivity is because, well, the second heading I have is the problem of subjectivity and self-authoring. So I guess maybe you feel like I didn't provide a satisfactory definition of what existentialism is, but that's because I don't really feel like there is one. And, and I don't feel like it's actually important for me to, to give you something apart from what I said, which is, what does it mean to be? Um, and I guess, you know, from existentialism, that word, there is, you know, a clear link to existence and what does it mean to exist? Um, is there a directionality to our existence? Is there a temporality to our existence? Um, is there an intelligibility to our existence? Is there a univocity to our existence? Are these, is our existence shared? Is it subjectively experienced? Is it objectively experienced? Um, I'm getting a bit sidetracked, but I got to the point of saying that I don't know what it's like for you to be, um. But I have an idea of what it's like for you to be. And I guess in my eyes there is something very strange about the existential project in the 21st, in the 20th century. Um, and what is strange is that there seem to be two objectives that are kind of permanently in tension with one another. Um, and I... I think I have managed to reconcile the tension between these two objectives. Um, and I believe that the tension has actually been overcome and can be overcome if you consider it through a different light, uh, through a particular light. So I guess the tension is that on one hand, the existential project is a fundamentally personal project. Um, as I said, it is... A project of what it means for me to be. And what it means for me to be primarily has meaning for me. Um, There is something that it means for me to be me. And there is importance for me in the directionality of my life. And in the things that I decide to do. Or the things that I decide not to do with my time. Um, but on the other hand, there is a kind of wider socio-cultural, historic, political context within which I fit. Um, and Heidegger called this facticity, so facticity refers to kind of the sum total of inputs of my world, which I don't have any control over, but I am born into. So I was born in France. I was raised in Melbourne. I have parents who are migrants. Um, I have friends from all over the world. I went to particular schools. Um, and I didn't have control over... I guess there are some things that I have control over, like who I choose to be friends with. Um, I have, you know, more control than I do over that than I do over my who my parents are. Um, I have no control. Absolutely no control over that. I have no control over the time, the point in history in which I am born. That is not a decision for me to make. So I guess the facticity refers to the yeah, the information which informs us that we don't have subjective control or conscious control over. Um, and so I was trying to I was trying to distinguish between two objectives. So initially, I said that there was that existentialism was a fundamentally personal project. What does it mean for me to be? What should I care about? How much control have I had over choosing what I have cared about? And then there is the second objective, which is a wider socio political historical objective. Is there, are there things which are shared between conscious sentient life? Such as human life. Are there things which are shared. Which also ought to be protected. Um, so some people might say religion is something which is shared. And ought to be protected. Some people might say. Avocados are shared and ought to be protected. Um, depending on where you live in melbourne where you live in the world you know there are varying needs and varying attractions varying levels of attraction towards avocados and also towards religion um and then there are kind of if you kind of conduct some meta-analysis of what it means to have access to an avocado um and this is a pretty silly way of kind of making this point but i guess it stands there is a really complex set of structures which allow you to actually get the avocado right so you have the supermarket or the grocery store or the place where you buy the avocado from Um, And then you have power relations between producer and consumer. Um, you need to have, I don't know, a currency to exchange. You know, you pay for someone's labor. Um, you are, there is some, uh, kind of cultural attachment to money. Um, there are all of these things which, which dictate our capacity to actually consume, right? Um, And I guess... There are principles which... If you kind of... If you kind of do what I was doing, right? Which was trying to deconstruct... The... Deconstruct the pathways... That we probably don't really pay much attention to... When we are thinking about things like... Buying an avocado... There are kind of key principles which uphold our capacity to do such things. Um, There is a kind of political freedom, right? There is an an autonomy. I have preferences. I like avocados. Um, I have money. I want to use and wield all of these things together and at the same time. And I want to buy an avocado. Um, I'm probably not very aware of it, but I am exercising an immense number of different privileges, and and I am kind of living through a an immense number of principles. The principle of freedom, the principle of autonomy, the principle of respect for others, the principle of respect for myself, because, you know, there's some kind of hedonism to this, but I have certain preferences and those which can be reasonably realized, I pursue, you know, buying an avocado isn't fatal. I guess, you know, (laughs) there are actually, you know, some pretty severe environmental consequences to avocado farming, especially in California. Um, I remember talking to this guy in Spain about that who worked on an avocado farm and he was telling me about the volume of water that they used and like for each avocado and uh, but you know the ethics the environmental ethics aside there's so much to such a simple transaction. Um, and the th- I guess, you know Simone de beauvoir you when if you went back to the whenever sixties and you sat down and had a conversation and spoke with her, she probably wouldn't tell you that like um you know the reason why she was writing about the reason why she was thinking about this kind of stuff was because she wanted people to be able to buy avocados right The care is much more profound than that the care is Much more important than that Um, The care is That There are things That Must Be protected For all of us To actually be able To be Subjective Subjectively experiencing agents With freedom Um, and I guess that last thing I said with freedom, um, I, I said that because that is one of the, if not the central component of existential philosophy, um, intellectual freedom, political freedom, ideological freedom, physical freedom, emotional freedom, financial freedom. Um, ...social freedom. All of these... ...all of these kinds of... ...like again I return to the stupid... Avo- ...the stupid example of the avocado... ...but really... ...like maybe it's actually... like ...maybe we need to think about things... ...as simple as a transaction like that... ...in order to realize... ...how much we are actually taking for granted... Um, ...and how much of the existential project... ...we are actually either contributing to or undermining when we live when we live um so I guess for I guess yeah the the three existential philosophers who I'm of four who I'm most comfortable with are Simone de Beauvoir, Martin Heidegger, um <laughs> Albert Camus the author of The Stranger and um oh that was four uh ah, Jean-Paul Sartre Um, but I guess for them, not so much Camus, um, but for the other three, there is something, there is some freedom, freedom appears to be the central or, or one of the central components of being, of being right. Um, and that is because that is because we are we are these agents or we are these bodies or we are these minds or we are these spirits or whatever you want to call us, but we are these things that engage with the world. Right. And our engagement with the world is subject to power relations and to positionality and to politics and to financial and economic capacity and to all of these kinds of things. Right. Um, but one thing which seems to really expand your kind of experiential horizon is freedom, because if you are free, you can you can go wherever you like with your life, um, and so the link to existentialism here is like I guess in some sense, it's subtle, but in some other sense, it should be patently obvious, right? Because when I say, what does it mean for me to be, built into that sentence is being. Um, and I guess the existential philosophers, and and when we ask the question of, ex- is existentialism a waste of time? Um, If we say yes to that question, that it is a waste of time, what we're essentially saying is that the investigation of things which can emancipate people is a waste of time. Um, And I guess, you know, maybe you can kind of do some other things. Like maybe you can, um, maybe you can like get into some kind of practical ethics and, you know get into some really kind of tangible political action. Um, but I guess like, you know, what is driving, what drives you to do that? Right. I think you'd have a pretty hard, at least people like, I don't know, concepts and uh, like ideas and I don't even know what to call freedom. Like, what even is that? Like, is it, is it an idea? Like ideal? Maybe it's an ideal. Ideals like freedom are so... I like, they're just, they have to be omnipresent, right? They have to be everywhere. They're, I don't see how... I don't see how freedom isn't linked to every single thing ever. <laughs> um, and I guess in that sense, the existential philosophers aren't moral, or some of them, most of them, the ones who believe that freedom is the central component of what it means to be, though those people aren't moral relativists. And I guess moral, moral, moral relativism is, um, you know, the claim that morality is subjective to the individual, right? So you, I believe that, um, Harming others is bad. You believe that harming others is good. I say, Hey, what are you talking about? And you say, Hey, what on what basis do you say that harm is bad? And then I appeal to something. I say, Harm is bad because you know, I shouldn't subject others to suffering, I shouldn't make others suffer, and then you say, oh, well, like, you know, you, you kind of do the same thing that you did with the avocado transaction. You kind of go keep asking questions. What does it mean for someone else to suffer? And I say, I don't know, like, it feels bad. What does it mean to feel? I don't know, like, there's some kind of interplay between the mind and the body. Oh, what does it mean to have a mind or a body? And then, like, and then eventually, I guess the aim, the people who are moral relativists, I don't think I've met anyone who's a moral relativist who like really believes that morality is totally subjective. Um, but like, yeah, the per- the, <laughs> the existentialists weren't that. They believed, many of them believed that, well, especially the four that I, the three, let's leave Camus aside because his nihilism and absurdism is kind of confusing. But um, those three um, believed that freedom is, I guess, yeah, Heidegger, Heidegger you have to be careful with because of um, his involvement in, uh, in Nazism. Um, But I guess I'll stick, so let's remove him from the list as well. Simone de Beauvoir, and actually let's just go Jean-Paul Sartre because he's the one whose discussion of freedom I am most comfortable with. I guess Heidegger's authenticity also. But he believed that we are, we have this immensely radical freedom, right? And that is central to all experience. That is sent. That is the central component of what it means to be because any kind of restriction or limitation placed on my freedom undermines my capacity for self-expression, for self authoring, for actually being actually for actually being right. Um, and I guess I have, I have spent all of my life in a Western context. And I guess the Western world in Australia in 2020 is a place which prioritizes the individual and individualism. And so I guess... And most of my listeners are from Western countries. Australia, UK, USA, France, Germany... Um, some in Scandinavian countries, New Zealand, um, these are all countries that rest upon the neoliberal model and the capitalist framework, which prioritize the freedom of, I guess neoliberalism more, neoliberalism specifically prioritizes a certain kind of freedom, a freedom from tax and a freedom from, kind of you know government guidance um and a freedom to commodify whatever you want um and so i guess i'm not arguing for neoliberalism um because i do not want unregulated business i am not for people not paying taxes um but you know we should be familiar with the existential question of of freedom, but I guess in the Western world we've been presented with that not through the lens of philosophy, but through the lens of productivity and of power and of money and and gain uh, accruing capital. Um, but you know, when you disassemble in a very basic in a very basic way, when you kind of dismantle neoliberalism, essentially what it is is. a a very specific interpretation of what it means to be free. Um, And I guess my point here is that we live in, that we just, we can't, you can't, you can't think that existentialism is a waste of time um, because that isn't the world that you live in. The world that you live in is a world driven by existential questions. Why do you have the particular political leaning that you do? It's because there are certain priorities that you believe are intrinsic to the question of being. Um, I guess, you know, the progressives, the social and economic progressives, want... Well, you know, people on the left, some people on the left want a welfare state. Um, They want the government to... And, you know, this is patently... This is very relevant now more than, you know, I guess it has been in the past few years during a pandemic when people don't have access to the same kind of modes of money generation as they once did. So people turn to the government. People want to turn to the government for support. Um, Why? Why do they want support? Because there are certain freedoms, I guess, looking at this through the lens of freedom, there are certain freedoms which can only be accessed. With access to the vehicles which drive the system. Money is one of the core, if not the core vehicle, which drives the Australian economy. Um, obviously, there's labor. there is There are ideas. There is motivation. There are bodies. There's politics. There are all of these different things. But, you know, freedom is an inescapable facet of being alive um and you either have it or you don't or you're somewhere in the middle where you know it's limited in some respects and um and you know you have more of it in others um so okay that was that was a pretty intense tangent but i'm still on the second question um, the second question is, oh, well, the second thing that I was going to talk about was the, pro- the problem of subjectivity. Um, and I guess I spoke a lot about the second thing. So the first thing was there is the individual who needs to be free, but then there is the individual within a particular facticity, within a particular set of circumstances. And in order for the first thing to actually happen, for the individual to be free, there needs to be a kind of... Social, ...a set of social structures which facilitate that freedom. Um, Politics. Economics. Power relations. Ways we think about race. Ways we think about gender. Ways we think about equality. Um, All of these things inform the individual. But at the same time, the individual also informs these things. Um, Okay, so... I guess I said before that there seems to be a tension, right? There's a tension between the individual and between the kind of bigger macro structure which informs the individual, which is comprised of politics and whatever. But, um, both, they, they inform each other and they kind of mold and sculpt each other. And if you take one away, presumably you don't have the other, um, I guess one question that you can think about to see whether you actually agree with that claim that I made, that if you take one away, you don't have the other is, um, if you take away the consciously experiencing agent, us, if you take us away, if you take me away and if you take you away, is there anything at all? Um, yes, presumably. If you take humans away, there's still the world. There's still life, right? Um, but if you take away a conscious experiencing... Or the most comp- the most complex conscious experiencing agent that we have discovered yet... Us. Um, you take away a means of engaging and understanding the world. And you just have the world in its purest form. So... I don't know, I guess... To turn that into a question, like... You can't... Well, obviously, you can't have... Like, there is no existential question... Really... If there isn't a human being... Or if there isn't a... Complex... Sentient, conscious agent... Um... If we were just... Robots... Who didn't feel anything... If there was no meaning... Attached to the world... Presumably, there wouldn't be a question of what it meant to be. Or that question would be very simple. um, Because it would be determined by an algorithm. Um, So you could actually answer that question. But we're not determined by algorithms. We have to author our own meaning. Um, And this is why the existential question is so important. Um, And I've been pretty damn vague up until now about how to actually implement the existential question of what it means to be, how to actually consider that in the context of your own life. So I guess that's why the third point that I wanted to talk about was an example of an unfortunate way of being. Um, okay. My mouth is dry. I'm going to drink some tea. Okay, so There's this guy, right? A French um, A French existentialist philosopher And He He had this idea called Bad faith Um, Jean-Paul Sartre Is his name Um, And He kind of Yeah, I guess my understanding of bad faith and what it is, um, is a way of thinking about how not to be or, or about how think, how to think about the kinds of behavior that we might actually be doing, which undermine or limit our freedom. Um, and I guess, hopefully I have given you enough, kind of, enough of a push to actually agree with me that freedom is something which is fundamental to the human experience. If you don't agree with me, um, leave a comment on YouTube or message me, um, because, yeah, I'd like to hear, I'd like to hear what you think, um, but... I mean, I've never, I'm not familiar of, I'm not familiar, I'm actually not familiar with an argument against the idea that freedom is an intrinsic part of the human condition. Unless, you know, you're a really hardline determinist and you believe that there is no such thing as freedom because everything has been decided by, I don't know, a god or a computer or we're living in a simulation. Um, But, I mean, I think that's pretty bullshit, so... Um, okay, so bad faith. So consider, um, consider the gambler, consider a gambler, um, a problem gambler, problemed, problem, problemed, whatever. Someone who has a severe addiction to gambling, um, Now that person would be, there are two ways that that person can be acting, could be acting in bad faith. Um, one way is that they may reject their facticity, right? And remember what the facticity is. So the facticity is the sum of their kind of socio- cultural, historical circumstance, all of the things that were outside of their control that they were born into, which have informed them the way they've been socialized, the politics of their time, the politics of their parents, the politics of their community, their education, their interests, their preferences, whatever. Right? So the gambler will be in bad faith, will be acting in bad faith if they believe that They are free from their facticity. Um, Or, okay, wait, wait, I think I... The gambler will be in bad faith if they believe that they are their facticity, right? So if, if I reflect, let's say, let's suppose that I am this gambler and I reflect on the past 10 years and I say... Every day I have gambled and and I am a gambler. That's all I've ever been and that's all I will be. I have no power to change that. I am not free to change that. Um, now that might seem like, it might seem obvious why that is some, why that is a, a way of thinking that we should not want for ourselves. Because it's just, it's not, it's not true. It's not true. Um, While, while we are influenced by our facticity, we are not our facticity in the future. And I believe that we have a, we have, all of us possess the ability to navigate the world or to have a degree of power over the way in which we navigate the world. So the gambler is in bad faith if they believe that they in fact don't have that power, but that they have but their behavior has already has already been decided by the person who they once were, or who they have been until this point. Um, so you're right, I guess essentially the claim is that you can't believe or you, sh- you really shouldn't believe that who you have been is who you will always be. Um, because I guess you can see in the context of existentialism, um, it's just, it's a really wicked thing to believe for yourself. Um, it's a really kind of anti, anti conscious thing to believe um because as a conscious agent um you have control or a certain degree of of control over your navigation of the world um which is independent from the past obviously so much of what you what your preferences are um what your interests are Um, what your behavior is, is going to be, if, if not totally determined, then, you know, very heavily influenced by your past. But, you know, like, here's an example, here's an insight into my personal life, Uh, not a very interesting one, but, um, I have always struggled to wake up early and for a long time I was like, ah, like, I don't know, I'm just a sleepy, sleepy dude, um, and then two months ago, I was like, I'm going to change. I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. And I guess for two months, I've been mostly sticking to that. Um, sometimes I wake up later, but mostly around 5, between 5 and 6. Um, and so I would, I would have been in... There, the, I can see how I may have just continued down the path of thinking that I'm just a sleepy person. And that I just need more sleep. Um, or that I just need to sleep in or whatever, but you know, I kind of, I didn't want to accept that. And so I pushed myself, um, and it worked. Okay. So that's the first way that we can be in bad faith by believing that we are what we have been. We are what we were born into. Now, I guess the second one I can articulate, or I can explain in a very, in a much more simple way, because I've already given you the kind of The first example of thinking that you are defined by your past, your facticity. The second way in which we are in bad faith is by thinking that we are totally free from our past. Um, I guess it may seem intuitive. It may seem obvious that that isn't true. But, you know, the gambler who thinks that, you know, the gambler who has gambled every single day for 30 years and then who after 30 years one day wakes up or every day wakes up and says, today I am free. Today I will, I will author my, my life. And then, you know, they feel the, the push to gamble and they understand that to be independent of, Their history. They. Perhaps they interpret that to come to a. To have come just organically. To have arisen from somewhere. But that is. Believing that you are not. Somehow. Powerfully influenced by your history. You are also behaving in bad faith. Um, And I guess. Here is an allusion. To the way in which existential philosophy is kind of problematic because it isn't psychology. These, the existential philosophers, I guess some of them, maybe they kind of, you know, had dabbled with psychoanalysis. Um, but they weren't, it doesn't sound like at least from what I've read, existential philosophy has much of a basis in empirically tested science um so i guess that's one criticism of existentialism but like obviously that definitely is not even close to being a compelling reason for why we should cast it aside as a waste of our time um okay so i guess that third thing bad faith That is supposed to be one way in which we can think about our actual life and see how existentialism fits into it. So I guess the key concepts from that are there is such thing as a facticity. There is a context within which we are born that we don't have control over, which will influence who we are, right? And then there is our freedom, our freedom to act on certain things. And I've actually done a number of episodes on free will. Um, you should go and listen to them. I kind of, I think I presented a pretty biased. Anyway, I have this video. It's called free will in seven minutes. If you want an introduction to free will start there. Um, but I guess the, the point that I get to is actually don't worry about that, but, um, yeah, so we have this freedom, right? We, we have a freedom to act in a certain way, to pursue things that we want to pursue, to change our, to try and change our behavior. Now, the sense in which we may not be free, which is actually not what the existentialists believe. The exis- Some of the existentialists believe that um, we have a freedom that is so extreme that we can kind of, you know, control our decision making and thoughts in each moment. I don't agree with that. But I guess the thing that I was going to say was, you know there is a kind of question mark about the psychological or existential origin of our decision making. Um, why am I even making this podcast right now? Right. So I guess I I should, if I am to act in, if I am not to act in bad faith, I should realize that there's that I have a particular facticity, right. I have a podcast, I have this platform, this is something I do. Um, I, don't, I didn't suddenly just have the drive to sit in front of a camera with a microphone and talk about this kind of stuff. Um, although it's something that I wanted to do, it didn't emerge from nowhere. It came from my facticity. Um, and so in that, yeah, I, I agree with that. So I don't, I'm not in bad faith. We shouldn't say that I'm acting in bad faith in that sense. The second thing is, um, I, am so I'm not free from my past, right? Because presumably that influences my decision-making. And the second thing is that, I guess I haven't really thought about this today, but I don't, there isn't a kind of, there isn't a fatalism in me making this video. Or this making this podcast, I didn't think that I had to. I didn't think that because I had done this in the past, I had to do it again. So I guess that space in between is where we are. We have freedom um, in deciding whether or not we want to continue acting on our the kind of pushes we get from our facticity and. In deciding whether or not we want to conform to the image of the image of us that our facticity is pushing us towards, um, because I guess it is. I have I receive a lot of information from my parents about the kind of person I should be. Unfortunately, um, I feel like they did a very good job of. Allowing me to have space to determine the kind of person that I wanted to be. Um, But, you know, I didn't do that in the context of me believing that I was totally free from their influence. Okay. Um, There were six points on this page, but I guess in in the first three, especially in number two, I think I covered pretty much everything. Um, So, yeah. I think, hopefully, I have provided a a kind of comprehensive overview of some of, of kind of, you know, the basic questions of existentialism. And, obviously, they're not very basic, are they? They're pretty damn complex. Um, And, yeah, you shouldn't think that existentialism is a waste of time because if you have been... If you are being, if you are someone who is, you are constantly balancing and evaluating and measuring and configuring and analyzing what it means for you to be. Um, cool. Okay, well, if you enjoyed the video or the podcast... Please subscribe on YouTube, Um, like the video, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, support me on Patreon, or just tell a friend. Um, You can also reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at AlexListens. Send me a message. Um, Otherwise, yeah, be, be, (laughs) right? Just be and be free. Anyway, until next time. I like it more, it can mortify, yeah. The more I say I'm okay, the more I feel you feel okay, okay, yeah. You don't understand my vocabs, okay? You know I don't play with Moe. Save my rose for some other day when I don't feel okay. I just drink. OJ. So much got I miss, yeah. But there ain't no money in this business. Yeah, so how long that I keep on doing this shit. shit? Yeah, like forever that's how I feel, yeah.